Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's episode, we'll be talking about starting a hospitality business. And to help us understand this space, we have someone who's done exactly that. His name is Justin Vatska, and Justin is the founder of the Coachman Hotel in South Lake Tahoe in California in the United States. And I will let Justin describe what he's building, but if you will Google the Coachman Hotel, you'll find that they are doing really well. They have great reviews across the board on websites like Yelp, TripAdvisor, Hotels.com, guests to love what they're doing and they've only been open for a little over a year so it's really impressive what they've managed to achieve in terms of his background justin worked extensively in the hospitality space prior to starting the coachman hotel he was with the marriott for about seven years he has an undergrad from cornell university and he also has an mba from the wharton school so yeah with that let's welcome justin Thank you for having me, Sonali. Hey, Justin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, I'm excited to have you, but I'm sure this is really, really exciting times for you because when I Google the Coachman Hotel, literally you have amazing reviews across the board. So as an example, on TripAdvisor, you have 4.5 on five on five stars across 73 reviews. Same case for Yelp, Hotels.com. So, and then you were featured in Vogue recently. So congratulations. And how do you feel? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I feel great, um, but still a lot of work to do. That's one of the things about a hotel is it never closes. So you're, you're constantly trying to keep running your business, but still improve it. Yeah, and, but it's just been four years. I mean, is this is this typical for, for a hotel to see this kind of response in four years? Um, well, we've only been opened uh, for about a year now, uh, but okay. we've been looking, you know, going through the renovation process since uh, 2014 and hotels typically when you look at them financially take three to five years to what we call stabilize to get Mm -hmm. to the point where they're producing the income that you expect and is sustainable in the long term. So uh, having these kind of this kind of feedback this early is, is definitely positive and you know, makes us want to do another one quickly. (laughs) Okay. And right now it's just one, right? Near Lake Tahoe. Yes, this is my first project. Okay, all right. So yes, tell us a little bit about what you're building and uh, what is your vision for the Coachman Hotel? Um, well, like a lot of people who you know probably worked for larger companies, I worked for Marriott for about seven years. And with those big companies, it's harder to have your own kind of imprint on the experience at the end of the day, the product. And so I always really wanted to be the person in charge of making all the decisions, being able to change from one day to the next. And so, you know, I left Marriott back in 2010 and have been on this journey to start my own hotel. And the goal really is put people on vacation and have a good time doing it. Uh, It it sounds kind of easy at a high level to say, oh, we want people to have a good time, enjoy their trip on vacation. But there really are thousands of decision points that go into that from the coffee you serve, the toiletries and bath amenities you have, uh, to what bedding you use, what the room looks like, the lighting. There's just so many things that go into that. Mm. And it's a lot of fun to be the person making those decisions. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that. So uh, tell us a little bit more about how the Coachman Hotel is different from any of the other hotels, because I'm sure like if if I take just the tagline, like I just want to have fun in my vacation, uh, I'm guessing like multiple properties can can fit into that. So what makes your hotel different, or at least according to you? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things about the hotel industry. You it's hard to do anything that's completely new or that nobody's ever seen. Uh, really, you're just borrowing all, as many good ideas as you've seen out there and trying to bring them into your hotel. And it's really a people business. You have to have great people and you have to have people that believe in your vision and can execute uh, for guest satisfaction. So 
you know, I would never say, oh, we're, we're one of a kind, mm. but I would say what we strive to do, we do really, really well. And that's kind of what we want to be known for because you want guests to come back. You want them to tell their friends. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, we're just focused on, on just that. We want people to come back. Yeah. I mean, and it's clear from your reviews that people are definitely enjoying their stay. So can you share maybe some stats with us? So you said it's been a little over a year since it's been open. Who is your target demographic and what kind of traffic are you seeing right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so we, we closed on the property in April of 2015 and then we soft opened in March of 2016. So uh, about a year of gut renovating the property, which is pretty quick, especially since we had to work through a winter. And we finally completed everything uh, just in January 2017. That included the meeting space, the rest of the rooms. So we really only just got our shiny new toy recently. Mm. Uh, our target market is kind of the young professional from the Bay Area, Sacramento, Reno. You know, but the reality is you aim for a, a certain group, but you're going to attract a lot of people that yeah. are into, you know, what that target market might be into as well. We're actually seeing quite a few international guests. Mm. Um, we're booking really well on booking.com, which is a heavy international site. Uh, I believe the stats are we have about a four times higher conversion rate than other hotels, meaning when prospective guests click on our hotel, they're four times more likely to actually make a booking than when they click on another hotel. And I think a lot of that goes to you know what we convey in pictures. Pictures are are huge nowadays. Mm. Um, the website is critical to the impression that you set for guests from the get-go. You know, they can tell a lot by just the quality of your photos and that sets the expectations for the whole trip. Yeah, I mean, that probably is the reason why you, you were rated as the most Instagrammable hotel at, in Vogue, right? Like, how did that happen? Um, I have an amazing uh, PR person. Her name <laughs> is Allison. Uh, okay little plug for her. Uh, her firm is called the James Collective. Uh, but one thing about content like that is it really does snowball. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are blogs or websites or publications, and there's more, more of them than there is good content. So if you can get placed in a few spots, if you can get the word out in the right publications, other people are going to see it and pick up on it and want to do another story on a wrinkle of that. Mm. So I would say, you know, that was kind of just the result of some really good targeted early PR. And then that just snowballed. Yeah, actually, so it sounds like you've done a very good job of, of uh, I mean, PR or maybe something else. Because if your hotel opened just in January 2017, so is January 2017 is the time when guests could start coming in? No, they, they've been staying since March of 2016, but okay. we were still doing some renovations okay. uh, to our meeting space and to a few of the other rooms all the way up until January of 2017. I see. Okay. So I'm curious because, I mean, it's it's still a really short period of time, right? Because I was under the impression that you've been around for four years. It's only been like literally just one year. And you have mm -hmm. like, uh, I mean, just based on what I'm seeing online, people are very happy. So how did you attract your first guest or your first few guests? So was it PR? Was it something else? How have you managed to build this brand? Uh, well, one of the, you know, one of the things for better or worse in the industry now is the um, online travel agencies or OTAs for short, Expedia, Hotwire, Hotel Tonight. They allow you to open up your hotel and basically start filling it right away uh, because they're spending a tremendous amount of money to reach customers. And so your hotel can come up and they can see it right away. Oh, Whereas, you know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, it might take you years to really begin ramping up your business because there was, it wasn't easy to reach people. So we don't have to spend any money to reach people off the bat. We just pay a commission for bookings. So that's oh, been really helpful in, you know, path, you know, guests that have stayed have been our best lead gen. They're the ones who are coming back. They're the ones telling their friends. Uh, most of the meeting groups that we've booked thus far have been from, we don't even have pictures of our meeting space up on our site yet. We only just recently have them taken, but it's past guests who want to come back with their companies. Hmm. So just getting people in the door right away is a great strategy, even though they may be costly. Hmm. But if you're delivering a great product, 
at a good price and a good experience, they're going to come back. So okay. I think that's really the formula we've stuck with from the get go. Okay, that makes sense. And I, I wasn't aware of that. So what you're saying is that if you're opening a hotel, you can tie up with Expedia, etc. And they are the ones who start sending traffic to you and they take a commission on the booking fee. Correct. Okay. And do you have to pay an, an initial amount just to op- like get listed with Expedia? No, it's um, nowadays everything's uh, okay. in the cloud, really. Uh, most properties have property management systems that can sync up and link with all of these online travel agencies so the inventory can be managed dynamically uh, in real time and they don't they don't charge you to get set up but they do have a lot of wrinkles to try to get more money from you you can pay more to be featured in a more prominent position you can run uh, promotions with them you can allow them to collect the money so that there's a lot of different angles that they use to get a higher commission yeah no i of, of course so I, what do you think was was great about your initial listing which attract which you think attracted guests to your hotel i think it's the the high quality of design and the products that we're offering i think in the market we're in there was really a, a lack of hotels doing specialty coffee um, hotels really focusing on the beers and wines that they offered. Mm-hmm. And we designed the hotel to operate very efficiently. You know, this is a seasonal market. And a lot of the hotels up here struggle when they, they're fully staffed for the summer and the winters, but then they go into the shoulder periods and they have trouble either lowering their costs or really staffing correctly and keeping the experience up to par for the guests that are visiting in the shoulder period. So one of the things we did is we designed our lobby has one huge uh, desk bar that is the co- where you can get coffee, where you can get beer and wine as a bar, and where you check in as the reception. So the same person's able to do all of those functions. So whether we have 30 rooms sold or we have five rooms sold, we're still offering the same level of experience at our hotel mm. to everybody. And I think that's something that's really resonated with people that they enjoy coming here any time of year. We're still seeing strong business in the shoulder periods and it's kind of a kind of an operational tactic that we wanted to test out here and it's been successful so far. I see. Okay, this is really interesting. So there are clearly certain like very interesting things you're doing uh, which is making your property very appealing to guests. So uh, maybe take us back to the beginning of this journey. So you said you were working in Marriott for seven years before you decided to start your own thing. So how did you get this idea? So I was, uh, I moved over to Singapore in 2006 Mm -hmm. and I was over in Asia between Singapore and Hong Kong for about four years and just traveled quite a bit and had a number of friends that traveled with me. And we just kind of said, if, if we could open a hotel, this is what we would do. Uh, you know, these are the things that we really like it. XYZ hotel. This is what we like at this other hotel. And, you know, one day we want to open a hotel and we want to, you know, pick the things we've seen uh, from all the places we've been. I, I would say in throughout Asia, the customer service level is is high. Yeah. Is I would say definitely higher than you see in the U.S. And so there was a lot of things we learned from the customer service perspective that we thought we could weave into, you know, a hotel here in the States that made more efficient use of labor because I would say in Asia labor is significantly cheaper. So you can throw a lot more people uh, at things at a hotel to deliver a high level of service, but you can't really do that here, uh, especially in California. Mm. So you've just got to be really smart about how you use your people and, you know, hire the right people and train them. Well, you know, you can't afford to pay them, you know, too much because kind of the market forces dictate really what you can do. And I would say that kind of drove some of the philosophies and the operating style that we've tried to put in here. Hmm, I see. So this is interesting. So you traveled and you and you got a lot of interesting ideas from outside the US, Asia in your case. Uh, so customer service is clearly one. Can you share an example maybe of, of something that you saw about customer service in Asia, which really stood out for you? 
Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's hard to pinpoint anything in particular. More of it was just, there was always, they always solved every problem. There was always enough people there. It was a, a higher attitude towards customer service and they, they really did a good job of making sure that, you know, you would, we would go to countries that we didn't speak the language. We didn't know what to do or where to go. And they were always very good at making recommendations. Some places, some places were very good at making recommendations on what to do. And mm -hmm. other places, if they were, you know, large chain hotels, they tended to have pretty scripted responses to where you should go to eat, you know, in China or something. They would recommend, you know, what most foreign tourists would want to go to instead of, you know, the real local experiences. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a combination and that was, that comes down to training. Right. You ultimately have to train people for the experience you want guests to have. And so we could see that, you know, we could clearly see from hotel to hotel, which properties put an emphasis on guest experience and which put an emphasis on just kind of executing a playbook from right. the corporate office. Right. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right because, I mean, I'm from India and uh, it is so true that, I mean, customer service is, I think it's also an attitude towards guests. Maybe like there's a saying in India that, that a guest is is like God. I mean, it's it's, a, it's a, like a crazy saying, but but I think there's a level of warmth that a lot of uh, that you might find in a lot of hotels that is sometimes missing, at least here in the U.S. So it's it's great that if you're trying to do something about that, uh, apart from customer service, did you did you see anything else? Like, have you tried to incorporate any other ideas in your hotel? Um, I'd say there's a lot of clean, efficient design, um, particularly what you'd see in Japan, um, living in Hong Kong, there is much better use of small space than you see in a lot of places here. So, you know, that was definitely a tactic. The some of the rooms, if you look at a average hotel room in the U S that's maybe not in a, you know, super dense city, you know, those hotel rooms can be 400 square feet on average. And that's just a, a massive hotel room. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so as soon as you can begin, stripping some of that stuff out from the size of it and going a lot more efficient, you can reduce the cost of building the hotel and you can pass those savings on to your guests. We definitely stayed in a lot of places that were like that very limited service, focusing on the budget traveler and delivering a very low price because there's a huge market there for people that need to travel at a lower price point. Hmm. So we tried to borrow some ideas from those hotels, but try to improve upon them a little. You know, there's chains of hotels that, you know, make you pay an extra $5 to turn the air conditioner on. And, you know, we didn't want to get to that point where we're nickel and diming people. We want to make sure it's still a great experience, but where can we find those efficiencies in design and service to pass that savings on to the guest? Got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So, uh, did you do anything to assess whether something like this would work in the US? Because as an example, like, you know, in a software product, it's so easy, you just build something, you test it out, and you can make changes very easily. In this case, for example, who knows, you know, maybe maybe a traveler would not have been happy with a really small room or, or something else. So did you do anything like that? Uh, I mean, it's it's a little more market research dependent. I mean, unless you're a, a huge company or a huge fund looking, if you're Marriott and you're looking to open a hundred Moxie hotels over the next you know five to ten years, you, you probably need to do some more product testing. Uh, when we're talking about just you know one hotel in a market, you're not reinventing the wheel so much. It's more can, is the market ready? that specific market do the demographics go there will they pay that much so it was yeah I, I i agree with you you know in certain industries when i was at wharton you know they stressed a lot of concept testing but it, it just isn't as comparable of a business it's more of out operating the other people in your market as opposed to is anybody going to show up you know of course people are going to show up it's a hotel hmm. uh, so it was more of just kind of running the numbers for some of our concepts operationally and just making sure we could still afford to staff the place, those kind of numbers. 
Okay. So then what was your next step? So once you decided that, okay, I, I want to do this, what did you do next? Really tried to begin educating myself on the process of buying and developing you know, a piece of real estate. My background was more in customer service, sales, marketing on the hotel side. And so the real estate side, which is, you know, a whole nother business in itself was pretty new to me. Mm-hmm. And I think I was, you know, I knew, I knew I didn't know everything and probably was a little naive thinking I could figure some things out as I moved along. I figured, okay, well, when a decision presents itself or whatnot, I've got a network of people I can tap and ask for help and kind of just jumped into it that way. Looking back on it, I still think that's a fair strategy. I think it's almost impossible for anybody to really know everything about the business that they're getting into, uh, particularly if it's something like this that has aspects like real estate and and operations uh, and construction all in one. I really just tried to ask for help when needed and educate myself on what the process was going to be so I could be informed and not be taken advantage of. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a massive undertaking. And it sounds like it's just you like, do you have a co founder or something? Um, not per se. Uh, you know, well, I worked with my father uh, quite a bit on this. He spent his entire career in the hospitality industry. He semi retired in about 2011. And I would say at this point, you know, my general manager here, in Tahoe, Kathleen is is also kind of my partner in the project now. And but up until we opened the doors, uh, yeah, it was really just me. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so your network came in very handy. Can you can you share with us? I mean, how, was this network there because of your experience at Marriott? Uh, yes, uh, I would say both Marriott and Wharton both invaluable yeah. networks. Yeah, uh, Wharton yeah. kind of on the the finance side of it, which to be expected is one of the reasons I wanted to go back to business school was mm-hmm. to try to round out my network and my understanding of the financial side of the business and, you know, use sort of my own personal work experience for the, what the product was going to look like. Mm, I see. So, I mean, do you think that you would have still gone ahead with this if let's say you didn't have access to, to a network? Um, it would have been very hard. It would have been much harder to raise the money. Um, Capital is a huge, huge barrier to getting into this business. Um, If, if you're a new, if you want to start your own hotel and you go to a bank, it's very likely. Well, I, I did it. I tried to go to, you know, one of the larger national banks and they said, we don't loan to anybody who doesn't have two years of operating history. So, that disqualifies pretty much all the banks from any first timer. I see. Uh, eventually, when you know, caught on with smaller community banks and whatnot, they wanted to see experience in what I was doing. They didn't want to just lend money to somebody who had a dream to start this business without a significant background in it. So there are some barriers to entry that are definitely network and capital based. Right. So right now, is it funded by people you know, or or is it? more institutional funding uh it's all friends family ex-colleagues uh combined with a bank loan Um, got it you know again institutional capital is going to look at your track record and you know i didn't have institutional investing experience so right they they typically want to invest in stuff that's going to have a flagged operator or has significant scale Uh, that's one of the reasons i think there's Mm. opportunity for you know, smaller time developers is, you know, the bigger capital sources, they need bigger projects, more rooms to kind of pencil out their overhead. So this is kind of the niche to get started. And is this, you know, smaller property in leisure destinations? Yeah, I mean, the reason I asked was I was I was curious in case uh, venture capital firms by any chance are interested in this space. Did did you try VC firms? Um, It it just doesn't, you know, it's not the return profile you know, mm. they're interested in. It's a really a, a linear growth. You open one hotel, you open the next. Um, there isn't the established kind of capital network like, you know, the VC industry where, you know, hey, I could go out and get you know, a bunch of meetings with people, but I don't have a product that fits their investment criteria. Agreed. They're looking for that exponential growth. Uh, you might find maybe they personally are interested in this from a lifestyle 
play. But unless you have some sort of aspect to your business that you've got some proprietary software or something that could be spun out and grown really, really rapidly, Hmm. they're just... Yeah, it just doesn't fit for them. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. And so, like, how big is your hotel, by the way? I should have asked, like, uh, how many rooms? Uh, we have 42 rooms. 42. So, 42 rooms is considered a small hotel? Or how how big is this in the scheme of hotels? I, I would definitely consider it small. Um, okay. This, you know, if you think about, you know, the average, you know, the average um courtyard or hampton that you see all or a loft that you see all over the place you know those are all definitely over 100 rooms Hmm. so i would say anything under 100 rooms is a different size and if they're operated by the bigger companies they tend to be much more high-end very luxe boutique hotels Uh, that's how they can kind of pencil their overhead is being able to get three four five hundred dollars a night Right, right, right. So for something like a 42, like under 100 room property, I'm sure the budget varies a lot. But what kind of figures are we talking about? Like what kind of funding? What range? Can you share something? The kind of the rule of thumb in development is your cost per room um, should be a thousand times your average daily rate. So if you're thinking that you can get a $200 average daily rate, you can spend up to $200,000 uh, per room in your build in all in I uh, see. acquiring it, building it, you know, or what have you. Yeah. That's kind of a crude measurement. Uh, if you're in a seasonal market like this, you're not going to get as high occupancy. So you can't, you probably can't spend as much money and should kind of dial that back maybe to the, you know, 125 to 175 range. Kind of mm. depending on that, kind of your operating expenses and what occupancy you're going to run. Right. Okay. And you'll you'll see stuff out there for sale, depending on the market, depending on the deferred maintenance that you know you'll have to you'll have to put money in. You could find stuff for sale anywhere from fifty thousand dollars a key to some properties, trophy properties in huge cities sell for over a million dollars a key. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. So, uh, I mean, so. You've given us a really good background of like, you know, high level. These are the kind of things that you have to think about so far. What do you think have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced? Uh, The renovation process was even if I would have known everything going through city and local processes for permitting uh, is time consuming and always takes longer than you think. Um, I would say, you know, that was probably the biggest challenge is kind of navigating all those different processes. You know, here in Tahoe, we have an overarching group called the TRPA that's responsible for kind of management of the entire Lake Tahoe basin. But then I also have to go through permitting processes with the city of South Lake Tahoe Hmm. and each group has different fees. Each group has different processes. Uh, then, you know, you've got a, a host of, ADA, American with Disabilities Acts to act to get up to speed and figure out. So that was really challenging was just understanding how all these pieces fit together and they don't do it in a really seamless way. Yeah. <laughs> you, find, you find yourself running around quite a bit. I mean, so I would, I would say that was one of the biggest challenges. And, yeah. you know, for me personally, I didn't have much of a background in construction. So it was hard for me to you know, see on a day, understand on a day-to-day basis, uh, what was going on from a construction standpoint and maybe look at ways that I could save money by doing some you know, alterations to how it was constructed. And that's something I'm, I'm definitely a little bit more up to speed on. And I think in the next project, I'll, I'll be able to control a bit more. Hmm. Yeah, but like based on what you're describing, right? I mean, there's so many different things. So uh, finding a place, I, I'm sure, you know, someone has to figure out, okay, exactly where to construct. Then there's the entire the permitting process, like you described. Then there's the actual construction, the design. And then you shared, you know, even the small decisions, like what what sheets to have on the beds, etc. So like, did you end up hiring a whole bunch of people who were like, who were the key hires that you think you made? or someone in your position needs to make to, to really have a successful start? Yes, it's it's all about the team. It's all about the people. So I was fortunate to um, 
be introduced to some very talented designers. Um, another plug, their group's name is Studio Tack. They're based out of Brooklyn. I met them through some friends in San Francisco, and they were responsible for the design and then the furnishing and kind of sourcing all that, as well as helping with the branding. So, you know, I know what I know, which was I had a vision for what the guest experience should be like and how we should operate the property. And I know what I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not that great at design. I'm not that great at branding. Hmm. So I was able to find people who I really got along well with, worked well with. They understood what I was trying to do and they were able to, you know, take all that on. So I could kind of learn alongside them as we went through the process. And then when we got closer to when I could take over, which was the operations, that's when, you know, things really started kicking into gear and I started hiring a staff. Mm, I see. And what do you think are some of the most important decisions you have taken, uh, which you think have led to the success that you're seeing now? We had a space that was above our lobby that was kind of earmarked to be a lounge area. Okay. And kind of halfway through, we decided, you know what, this this should be a meeting space. This is going to make us the most money if we turn it into a meeting space. And we kind of figured we had a really good opportunity to attract small Bay Area companies, startups up here for offsites, retreats, meetings. They're really as we looked around the market, there really wasn't any other hotels here other than the big 500 room casinos that had suitable meeting space. And we didn't think any of those properties were really on brand or an enjoyable experience. So we kind of scrapped the lounge plan and we turned it into a meeting space. And we've been extremely successful so far with getting companies in. Uh, We've got, I think maybe seven or eight meeting groups on the books for this coming June. And June is historically a really slow period for Lake Tahoe. So that's been something that's been really helpful in improving the profitability of the property is now we've got a space that can drive business when everybody else is really, really slow. Yeah. Yeah. I guess this goes back to the point that you were making that operational efficiency is a big issue for hotels. And so you have managed to find these various creative ways to keep that inflow of money going in in various ways. And so that's really helped you. Okay. Yeah. And we've, we've booked, you know, all these meetings uh, without a sales manager yet. You know, as I mentioned okay. earlier, it's been all repeat guests that want right. to come back with their companies and have a meeting here. Yeah. That's, that, that's been it so far. And so that's been something we've hit on that we think we can do at future properties is if we continue to focus on these leisure markets, well, what can we design to get that group and corporate business midweek in these leisure desks? We don't have to do anything to be full on the weekends. There's enough travelers coming up, Hmm. but how can we win during the week? Right. So what are some of the top of mind issues? Like, I mean, you started it, you constructed it. It's, it's off to a good start on a day to day basis. What are some of the problems or issues that keep you occupied or don't let you sleep at night? (laughs) Um, well, for, fortunately, I have an extremely talented team. Uh, my general manager, Kathleen, our assistant general manager, Jake, you know, they're focused on the day to day, getting people checked in, getting them checked out, having the rooms clean, keeping the property up to snuff. That lets me focus on, OK, well, what are the tweaks we can make to this business so that we're continuing to improve each year so that our guests that come back, there's something new here. So next week, we'll be launching a small plate food program in our lobby. That's something people have been asking about while they're at the bars. Do we have any food? And so we've taken our time to understand exactly what they want, how we'll fold that in operationally, and we'll be launching that next week. Uh, Another thing I'm looking at is how do we kind of improve our outdoor area? Uh, We've just submitted plans to the city to rip up some of our parking spaces, put more grass in, and build an outdoor kind of wood-fired grill. So I try to stay focused on improving the property from an experience standpoint and making sure that the team has all the resources they need to keep showing people a good time. If there's something they say we need, uh, we want to, we need to spend money on this, we need to improve that, you know, we talk about it. And 
you know, they make a good case. We're going to spend the money. We're, we're in it for the long term. We're not just trying to save a few dollars here in the first couple of years. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's great because then if you don't have to be involved in the day to day, you can be much more focused on the strategic things which can really help the hotel to grow. So I, I wanted to ask you some questions from the point of view of someone who, let's say, uh, is going through a similar thought process. Let's say they are, you know, maybe they have prior hospitality experience, maybe they don't, but they want to start something. What would you recommend they should think about and what's a good place to start? Um, shoot me an email or give me a call. Uh, <laughs> I have quite a few of those conversations Um every month or so and love having them because I was in that position too. So that's one of the best places to start is to just start asking around. Um, but then think about what you want to do from what, what you're capable of doing. I mean, it really depends on your access to capital and how much involvement you want to have. If you want to be the owner operator, be there working every day, checking people in or out. There's a lot of people who love that and they run the property and they love interacting with guests, but then they may not be able to take themselves out of the business if they ever want to open another hotel or mm. something like that. Right. So you have to decide how involved do you want to be in the operations? Mm. And you have to decide, or, or do you simply want to be kind of a developer, make the decisions and then hire and outside management company to completely run the property that definitely changes things you could open a hotel in a lot of different markets you don't have to live there or live nearby so yeah i mean i think you have to start asking yourself some of those basic questions what do you want to do from a lifestyle standpoint and what's your access to capital hmm. will kind of inform where you should head off right and actually so in your case because you're not involved in the day-to-day how has that impacted your lifestyle? Like, are you sort of, yeah, like what is your day-to-day from a lifestyle perspective like? It's a great lifestyle. Uh, I get to spend quite a bit of time with my daughter, which is kind of one of the reasons that I pursued this. Uh, I'm at the point now where I can start thinking of other projects and other hospitality businesses, you know, to because to really make this a, a career, you know, I'm going to have to do more than, more than one of these. Mm, mm. So, but the lifestyle is a lot of fun. I mean, your day is around getting people on vacation. I spend a lot of time trying to stay up on the trends in coffee or beer or wine. I get to meet a lot of interesting people in the hospitality business, which is a fun business to be in. So yeah, I, I want to trade that. Yeah, no, I'm sure. So what would you say are the most, um, like, what are some reasons why you should get into the hospitality business? I think it's a bit of what I, you know, just said in terms of really enjoying the outcome of your work, which is getting people on vacation, uh, have, showing them a good meal, a good time. Uh, I had a boss a long time ago who he worked for a casino company in Las Vegas, and he was responsible for kind of attracting gamblers and he said after a few years he just got kind of burned out because he didn't really like at the end of the day always trying to get people to come in to lose money and i'm not trying to (laughs) who the gambling industry i love to go gamble um (laughs) but when he moved over to marriott and he was working more on you know getting people straight on to vacation he said he really enjoyed that and i kind of i've remembered that for a long time and find a lot of value in, in what i do so yeah, so I mean, I guess there has to be some overall vision or or some some experience that you're trying to create, uh, which is making you do it. Yeah, I, I think you have to get satisfaction out of other people having a good time. Mm. Otherwise, what's going to drive you to put quality out in your product? If you know you're a chef and you just want people to eat and leave and make money, you know you're probably not going to enjoy it as much as if you know, you're really proud of your product and people give you good reviews. Uh, you know, I would think that would be much more rewarding. Yeah. And um, what do you think are certain misconceptions that uh, someone on like outsiders typically tend to have about uh, running a hospitality business, which where well, you know is not correct? 
Um, that's a good question. I, oh, actually, ironically, I, I read a weird article just the other day that said, uh, oh, hotels must be extremely profitable because it only costs, you know, at minimum wage, you know, 10, 20, $30 to, you know, clean a room or turn a room. And when they're selling that room for hundreds of dollars, they must be making a lot of money. <laughs> um, it's kind of a, it's not a fair way to look at the industry. I mean, there is a lot of fixed costs, especially on the real estate side. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think when people look at just the business as a hotel or as a whole, you know, hotels are hard to be profitable from an operating business because a lot of times you're constantly refinancing the business. You're, you're trying to put as much debt on the hotel as you possibly can. And that can really begin to, you know, crunch the finances and impact the guest experience. I also think people don't know that the ownership and the operator are typically not the same. Um, most hotels you stay in, somebody else owns it, somebody else operates it. So the owner is often real. In that case, the owner is really driven by profit and the operator is often paid simply a percentage of revenue. There's usually an incentive fee built into their management contract, but they have different goals and, the management company might want to pay to upgrade the lobby um, because you know the furniture is really old. But if the owner doesn't want to because he doesn't want to spend the money, hmm. then they can't. And the guest experience is impacted. And the guest that's coming in and getting angry at the general manager, the general manager's hands are tied because his owner doesn't want to spend the money. So I think people don't realize uh, that you know differentiated structure. Uh, can impact them. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really good point because it is true that hotels are hard to be profitable. So, uh, in your case, as an example, uh, can you share? Like, are you profit? I'm guessing you're not profitable right now, but how long will it take for you to be profitable? Unless you oh, are, we're, we're profitable. Oh, okay. No, we're you, know, <laughs> you. You should you you should hopefully be profitable. I mean, almost every hotel's probably got some you know, loan to pay. And so you better be in a positive cash flow position to pay your loan. And then you've got to be, you know, profitable over and above that to pay your investors back, um, to hit certain returns. Like, you, you know, then you often do have to either sell the property at some point or you've got to refinance it. But yeah, you, you should be, you should be profitable. <laughs> Okay, no, what I meant was like, because you have your fixed costs also, right? So you, I'm guessing you're profitable on an, from a, from on an day to day operations perspective. But your fixed costs, like, are they all paid off? You have your loans and stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, we have we have a loan uh, on the property, just, you know, at the same way people would have a mortgage on their home. Hmm. Um, we have investors who, you know, they own equity in the property, uh, and they'll slowly get you know, returns from cash flow from operations is the typical structure for the hotel. Okay. And what's a what's a good way to scale something like this? By scale, what I mean is, uh, if again, let's say someone is starting out, is it a good strategy f to first start one property and make sure that you're doing a good job, understand what's your formula and then replicate across multiple locations or, or something else? Uh, it it kind of depends. Um, on what, what the product's meant to be. Uh, and if you're trying to be in urban markets or leisure markets, uh, it's tough to really have much of a first mover advantage in the hospitality business. So, you know, there isn't usually too much incentive to, to doing anything really fast. Um, but I would say, yeah, you know, you, you want to do one to figure out what you know and what you don't know and improve upon it in the second one. Kind of the easiest way to scale is through additional management contracts. So here in Tahoe, we, you know, our group owns and operates the hotel. Uh, now maybe the hotel down the street isn't running very well and they want to have a new operator. Well, mm -hmm. we could come in and start running it for them. And that really doesn't cost us any capital to do that because somebody else already owns it. Somebody else would pay for renovations, all that stuff. We just come in with the people. 
and we start staffing it and running it and taking the fee, you can grow your business a lot quicker that way through simply managing Interesting. Because you don't have to go through the intensive process of due diligence, buying properties, um, raising capital. That that can be you know a much longer process and harder to do uh, without a huge team. Interesting. So in that case, in the example that you just shared, when you're operating someone else's property, it still stays or it's still their brand. It's still that hotel, and you're basically charging for the expertise of being able to run a hotel very well. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a number of forms that that, can, that contract can take. Uh, sometimes, you know, if you're Marriott, you bring the brand with you and mm-hmm. they have to pay, the owner has to pay quite a premium for that brand right. uh, and for access to customers that are using rewards points. Or in other cases, they may, it may be an independent hotel, in which case, you know, there is no brand really other than what the owner decides he wants to call it and somebody else is just running it under that name. Right. Okay. That's actually, that's a really interesting idea because uh, that's, I'm guessing that's a much easier way to scale and a much quicker way to scale. So, I mean, generally, uh, in some it, So, just to comment on that, shh, yeah, it sounds great in theory, but you also have to convince a hotel asset owner to let you run his property. Yeah. And he's going to want to see success at lots of other properties. I mean, certainly you're going to have to have one most likely to point to with success, uh, maybe even two, three, or four uh, before he wants to let you in there. You may have to have a very aggressive management fee to mm. beat out other operators. So it's quicker to scale, but it's certainly not easy to get. And you also have to then take into account, you know, that owner has a lot of control over the guest experience based on how much funding they're going to give you you know, what they're willing to invest in their product and what they want to see from a return standpoint. You know, I I mean, that was actually going to be my follow-up question that generally, oh. you know, what is the IP, I guess, for lack of a better word, right? Like in case of operating a business, I mean, yes, you can say that, hey, look at this hotel, I'm running it so well and I can do the same with your property also. But what is that thing which you replicate? Because it's, it'll be a different set of people, right? So what is that secret sauce, I guess, is what I'm asking. Uh, it's a lot of processes. I mean, everything is process-driven from how we how we assign housekeeping, uh, how we order, uh, how we operate our food. Uh, it's pro- it's process-driven with, with people. And we're going to bring our processes. We're going to mm. bring a commitment to quality. Uh, we're going to bring an expertise in marketing and reaching people in how we drive direct bookings instead of bookings from online travel agencies and their commission. You know, you're going to pitch all of those things in the way you manage. You are going to be able to have some synergies with, say, a sister property and, and share some resources there, bulk buying. So there's a lot of things that uh, can go into that pitch. Right. Okay. And I But think- yet, you're, you're right. There, There isn't any the reality is if you said, Oh, I have a proprietary legacy software for property management system. Nowadays, that's not an asset. You know, Marriott has these proprietary legacy systems that cost them tens of millions of dollars when they want to integrate online, you know, mobile check-in. It costs them a lot of money. Whereas if you're me and you're buying this new cloud software, that's constantly updating, you're getting better functionality than they are. So it really does come down to how you manage people and what mm. your processes are. Mm. I mean, so this is this is interesting because, uh, you know, for someone who's starting a business, it's also a question, and, and you did allude to it, that, you know, do you want to be involved in the day-to-day or do you want to be more of an owner? But it's, it's almost, it's almost a, a distinction between are you more of the high-level, like, product guy as opposed to someone who, who enjoys processes? Because often those two are not found in the same person. I mean, they could be like, like in your case, as an example, do you do both or are you interested in both? Uh, I'm interested in being an expert on it and really understanding it. But Mm -hmm. the day to day is, is not something that I think I'm as well suited for as sort of the strategic Mm -hmm. thinking. And I think a lot of people get in and it wasn't easy. You know, at first, when we first opened, I was definitely a little bit more on my plate from the operational side. 
Uh, but fortunately, I, I found some great people and was able to set the business up where I could, you know, step back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's not easy. You have to find the right person who you trust. It's really hard to kind of hand your baby off to somebody else to make all those decisions and run with it on a day-to-day basis. Right. Um, are there any aspects of being a hospitality business owner that you do not like? Um, no, no, not, not really. Uh, there's challenges. I do wish that, you know, it's nice and it's fun to see all these, uh, you know, companies are are offering these amazing perks and benefits. So there's employees, you know, paid, you know, paid maternity leave, um, just uh, amazing perks. And the reality is you just can't price those into uh, service businesses very well where you have minimum wage employees. Uh, you know, I'd love to be an employer that provides a significant amount more of compensation, but market forces just don't kind of allow for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Customers aren't willing to pay more for that. You know, the studies have shown hotel customers are not willing to pay a premium for green features. You know, it might sound nice in the mm-hmm. marketing mm-hmm. and might attract you a little bit. But the data has shown that there's no there's no revenue bump for those things. And I, I don't believe that there would be a revenue bump for, you know, saying that our employees receive these things. Most people are looking online for the cheapest price or pictures of a hotel they like, and that's what they're going to book. Right. And I would love to see a bit more regulation, I guess, or, or help in businesses like ours. Uh, being able to offer more to mm. people, so I, I, you know, say that's something I. That's a yeah. I don't love. I, I wish it could be. We could be on par with some of those other uh, industries. That's a very good point, and it's probably not very obvious to someone on the outside, but it is true that in a hotel or any service industry like this, a big part of the people who are working for you are minimum wage laborers or in that salary band, I guess. So the, mm-hmm. has that. Has it like was that a learning curve for you? Were there things that you weren't expecting that you had to figure out? Um, I guess you always kind of expect it, but uh, you know, I think when I initially started hiring, I think only fifty percent of people who scheduled interviews even showed up. You know, you kind of you kind of deal with those challenges. Um, and in a property like this where we've staffed it pretty leanly, you know, you're going to have issues where, you know, people quit almost unannounced and kind of don't behave logically mm-hmm. uh, is a learning. And so you you can't really manage that out or you, you can't prepare too much for that. You just kind of have to take it as it comes. You mm-hmm. can't always have a backup person for every single shift that's scheduled automatically. It, you just There's just not enough room in your in your budget to do something like that. So, you know, we try to, we try to treat our employees really well and uh, adjust when we, when we have to. Okay. All right. So uh, just a few more questions. So I know you mentioned that if someone is looking to start, they can reach out to you, which is great. Uh, but overall, would you like to recommend any resources, um, you know, books, articles, videos, communities? I would say just really be up on the industry as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I try to read as many articles as I can. I basically try to always have read that article that people forward me. I mean, people forward me articles all the time about, uh, you know, this trend in the industry and more than likely I've, I've probably already read it. So I try to spend a lot of time each day. You know, I try to use Twitter a lot to follow people I know that are up on the industry and, and read articles there. If you can really be an expert, uh, I think that's going to make a strong impression with wherever you, you go with that for you know, trying to meet somebody, pitch somebody, you know, just be that expert. Are there any, so if you're using Twitter, are there any people you'd like to recommend? Like, who, who do you follow? Uh, Skift is a good one. S K I F T. Um, you know, they always have great art. They're a little more global. Um, in the travel industry, if you're interested in specific markets, follow the local newspaper, read the local newspaper as, as creepy as it sounds, read the comments on articles, uh, about 
a certain destination. Like if there's a new development in town, read the comments um, on the message boards of the local newspaper. You'll get a a real sense of the pulse of the community, uh, of the town, of what's going on in that market. You know, you really can't read too much. There's always something more to read. Uh, So if you're targeting a specific locale, you know, focus on that. Maybe maybe read up on the zoning a little bit, understand things like that, uh, that would kind of influence what you'd be looking for. And is this information just available online, like zoning information and things like this? Generally, uh, it depends how sophisticated the, you know, the local government is. Uh, but you can typically call up, you know, the city planner's office or, or whatnot and, you know, ask them questions like that. You know, for example, a wrinkle in San Francisco is almost none of it is zoned for hotel by right. Everything, I think there's one tiny parcel in Soma maybe that's zoned for hotel by right, meaning if you owned it, you can build a hotel without needing to go get a conditional use permit, which involves hearings and lots of stuff like that. So if you were thinking of opening a hotel in San Francisco, (laughs) you're going to have to go, if you're, if you're trying to build something new, it's going to have to get a conditional use permit. Yeah. And so if you're looking at a particular market, you you may want to understand what you're allowed to do by right and what would need additional approvals. If that market like Tahoe has a commodity system for hotel rooms that you'd have to buy into to be able to get the right to do build hotel rooms. So each market is so distinctly different that that's why one, it's hard to sort of say, I want to open a hotel without kind of having a sense of maybe at least a region or something that you can begin to get up to speed on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or, I, or reaching out to, um, you know, a local partner. I, you know, more more likely than not, if you're just coming in to a market new, it's going to be hard for you to find a good property because the people that are already there, day to day, they've got their finger on the pulse of the, of the market. You know, if you were coming here to South Lake Tahoe and you were looking at something for sale, I've probably already seen it, and. Oftentimes, the stuff that's available has been passed over by people in the market. So if you're really hot on a specific market, you know, consider trying to partner with somebody there. Hmm. And what's a good way to get your attention? So like, let's say I, I want advice from Justin Watska, but now Justin Watska is getting requests from like bajillions of people. So and what's a good way to sound serious to you or someone like you? Um, email me. It doesn't take long to re- to read an email. I don't. I don't get that many. Okay. Yeah, I would. I would love to chat with you if you have an idea about hospitality. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I, I feel that you know that this is such a complex area that there's. I mean, we hardly did justice to the huge amount of work that you've done. Uh, but but it still sort of paints a, a good picture of the, just the numerous things that you have to think about. So thank you. And is there any other advice you'd like to share with anyone who's considering getting into this space? Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it sounds like maybe it, maybe it sounded like a lot throughout <laughs> this past hour, but it, it's, it's not that complex. Uh, you, you can get up to speed on it relatively quickly. I think we've all experienced it from the customer side and, you know, if you really want to do it, go for it. Like, don't, you know, don't be intimidated by, uh, you know, all of these things. There are people out there that can fill every single role in the process, Oftentimes, the hardest role is that that champion of the project that's going to keep pushing it. So if you want to fill that role, you can find capital partners, you can find designers, you can find great operators. So yeah, just just push ahead with it. All right. Thank you so much and uh, have a great day. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that and found that helpful. And of course, if you have any questions at all, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. You can check out our website at learneducatediscover.com where you'll find a list of all our past discussions, such as discussions with a product manager at LinkedIn, management consultants from companies such as McKinsey and AT Kearney, 
product marketing manager from Facebook, investment bankers from Deutsche Bank and many other discussions. So do check it out. And on our website, you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we share updates on new episodes as well as a lot of other helpful career resources. So again, check out our website at learneducatediscover.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover. All right, that's it for today. And thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, bye-bye.